At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. It's not okay to drive stone. You might think, ah, it's the worst that can happen. I drive below the speed limit. The, the truth is your reaction times slow way down when you're high. You not only put yourself in danger, but everyone around you. Stop kidding yourself. You've been using marijuana in any form. Do not get behind the wheel. If you feel differently, you're going to drive differently. Drive high, get a DUI. It is upon us now, Danny. Top 10 prospects in the NBA 2018. The way we do this, uh, for those who are new, this is now our fourth effort here. And so we'll be tracking how guys have ranked over time as we look at which players 23 or under this is as of basketball references season age so february 1st a team would most want to have for the rest of their career that is the criteria for the ranking and the reason we go with 23 is because that's kind of the year after you know a guy who waits until his senior year to get drafted would be in the league it's kind of the last year you can you can credibly be like oh he's only 23 imagine like how much more he has to grow so we're trying to project performance going out for the rest of guy's career obviously that is a very inexact science so what are some of the criteria that you are using here to come up with the list Danny? so something that is really important to me is star potential or star certainty because the the best players in the league are the by far the most valuable you know I, i've used the stat before of how a team hasn't won an mv hasn't won a championship without a player who had already won an mvp other than the pistons since i think it's 79 it's just incredible how those players just drive the league and so if you can have an MVP caliber player, that's really important. And then beyond that, you're looking at, you know, ceiling floor, versatility, viability, you know, the players who can only work in specific systems or need certain things that is a, that is a limitation. And then plug and play guys, there is there is a value to that. Of course, player quality and everything else notwithstanding. And one thing I want to make sure at the outset here is this is not some sort of like value or anything like that. This is not player plus contract or anything else. We do, we, we've talked about those things at other moments. This is not the a test. This is just these players who you would want for the foreseeable future. Some other really important things to remember here is a player's age, right? If you're doing the same thing at 19 as someone else is doing at 22, generally you're going to be a more valuable prospect because the thought is that you're going to continue to improve. And it's one of the most important variables in predicting future performance. Players generally peak between 25 and 29. There's some evidence that the real highest, greatest of all time players can continue their peak a little bit longer longer than that but that said and so i think that's going to lead us particularly in my list skewing a little bit younger because like you said danny there is this track record of guys who are top 10 players in the league top five players in the league driving championships and that's what is most important in nba history they are the ones who determine the fate of the league and so younger guys a lot of times if i had to predict say oh is this guy likely to have this guy who just got drafted this year is he likely to have a better career than this guy guy who's been in the league three years we kind of know what he is but we're pretty sure he's not going to be a superstar you know a lot of times you would say no the guy who's navigated three years and he's going to be a solid player maybe even a low-level all-star player that guy is more likely to have a good career than someone who's just starting out their career but more paths are open to that younger player there are and even if that player may have you know a five percent chance of reaching superstardom but we feel like no there's probably a one percent chance from these other guys who are more established at, at kind of a lower end all-star level or at least on that path I 
I should say. That means a lot. So generally, my pattern has been we'll have a lot of rookies in my top 10. And then those guys, if they don't develop and it becomes clear a year later that they're not really on that path, they can drop pretty quickly out of the rankings. So there's a lot here based on potential. Well, and that's interesting. I think we're going to have some differences of opinion this year just because I'm a little bit lower on that true ceiling for some guys. There are a lot of guys that I really like in this rookie class, but that that rarefied air, like the real, you know, not just all NBA, but first team all NBA, that's a little bit different for me. And so they're, they're, that'll come up with a couple of the rookies in this class where I think they're, you know, maybe they could obviously could is, is, is an operative word here, but in terms of expected value, they're maybe a little bit lower. So we'll see how that works out. But before we get to that, I want to mention just because I think it's clarifying the players that have graduated off of this list. And that's by being too old. Giannis was, I believe both of our clear cut number one last year, but he, this is his age 24 season. He is no longer eligible. Joel Embiid was in my tier two last year would be very, very high on this year's list, especially with durability being resolved, but age 24 season. And then Clint Capella was an honorable mention for me last year. He is now ineligible. Yeah, Gary Harris, KCP, and Otto Porter all in the players to watch category. We'll define these categories a little more as we go through, at least for me. But yeah, it is interesting that we don't have, I mean, between AD, Giannis, and Bede these last few years, those are guys that you look at as, especially AD and Giannis, like, wow, these guys are top five players. They might already be top five players by the age of 23 already. And there's nobody really who I think is quite on that path right now, at least with a lot of certainty, where you look at him and you're like, okay, this guy is awesome. He has huge upside and he's already accomplished so much. I'm not sure that we have that level of player. A few other notes here before we get started on what's important to me here. Well, I did emphasize youth a little bit more. And I think my philosophy has evolved to some degree over really preferring superstar production since I started this list back in 2014. There is something to be said for just having successfully navigated three years of your career without getting injured, actually making it an all-star team or playing at an all-star type of level. So we're not completely discounting that in favor of upside. Like that does matter to have actually shown some production, shown that you can get there because obviously it is the rare rookie who actually even contributes to winning basketball. Another thing we can talk about here is position, Danny. I know that's something that we've been focusing on more as time has gone on. Right. And when I was compiling the list originally, my own list for this year was very big man heavy. And when I was thinking about that, I'm like, well, if it's so big man heavy, then I should probably downgrade these guys because scarcity is important. And especially now that the league is going towards non-traditional centers, whether it's on second units or sometimes in starting and closing lineups, there are fewer minutes available for those guys. And sure, if you're a top 10 player at any position or a top 10 player in the league, not really a concern. But outside of that, when we're talking about expected value or can this guy stick in a playoff series, that's a really important consideration. And so it it didn't affect my list as much just because there were a lot of guys that I I just much preferred them. And so it was kind of the idea of like, I I just wasn't willing to do it, but it was a very, very important consideration. Yeah, I think particularly on the wing, you'll see, especially as we get down into the honorable mention, into the players to watch category, there'll be some guys that you don't think of, oh, traditional all-star potential, but the sort of guys, you Rob Covington, Danny Green type of players. If we see someone on the wing who can develop into that type of player, you know, that's still a very valuable player. And so that level of player at the wing position is going to get into this conversation. That level of of player as a point guard or a big, probably not going to get into this conversation. And then another thing to consider too, is if you just, even if you could really produce offensively, if you cannot defend your position at one of the big man positions, that just makes things so difficult to build an elite team around them. Like it's really hard to defend well without good quality defensive bigs. So that certainly is going to hurt some players on this list. And then finally, the number one thing to me is that the premium skill in the NBA 
NBA is creating shots for yourself and others efficiently. And I maintain that the difference between the best and worst offensive players is far greater than it is on the defensive end, especially when you're talking about the non-big positions. So that's that's what we're looking for. The guys who are going to be able to be those turbocharged offensive engines who, who can set up their teammates, score efficiently in this era of spacing. If you don't have one of those guys, you're kind of sunk in this day and age. And then finally, of course, also note for anyone who's going to post this list on Reddit, we're putting these guys into tiers. And so the idea here is that they are very close to one another. There's a very good argument that someone in the same tier could be higher than the person at the top of that tier. That's especially noteworthy at the bottom here. You know, when you get, all right, it's called the top 10 prospects in the NBA. We had to cut it off somewhere. But there's a lot of guys, you know, who are in the same tier as guys number nine and 10 for me. And I'm sure you run into the same thing because the lower you get, the smaller the differences between guys become. That's the nature of talent distribution in the NBA as well. Before we get started here, though, how about an ad for us? Patreon.com slash Duncan LaRue. Danny, what do our subscribers get? So there are a lot of different benefits for it. The the most obvious being the monthly subscriber mailbags we do where the questions are asked by and exclusively answered for subscribers. We get into some really interesting discussions. On the last one we did, we actually did two different 10 plus minute conversations, which we've never done on any other show, public or otherwise, which was really, really fun. Then we also have salary sheets when transactions happen. We just had that almost three-way, actually two-way trade. And we're going to have a lot more of that closer to the deadline. Hopefully going to have some Danny story time and other perks as they come across like airport AMAs, which I do whenever I travel and just anything else that we think about that's cool. And we're always open to suggestions, but you can check it out. Patreon.com slash Duncan. All right, here is the beginning of my tier one. I have two players in it. Number one is 23-year-old Carl Anthony Towns. And number two is 23-year-old Nikola Jokic. And Jokic, I freely admit, has been better than Towns this season. Towns has shown some growth on the defensive end that that's basically the only reason right now that I have him above Jokic because I do think that he is just a more transformational offensive player than Jokic. He just has the ability to be an impossible matchup offensively, although he did kind of fail in the playoffs last year. We haven't even seen Jokic in the playoffs yet. Uh, Once again, I I realize they're the same age. I realize Jokic has been better than Towns. It was absolutely splitting hair between these two guys, but I went with Towns uh, over Jokic. With your lead-in, I thought you were going to go in a different direction here. That's my same top tier, but I have them in the opposite order. And I struggled with it a lot too. And there is a big part of me that believes the reason I have Jokic over Towns is that Jokic is empowered to be a more actualized version of his skill set than Towns is. That the, uh, you know, like if you put him, and I'm not saying like Mike Malone is this savant, he's just given Jokic a lot more room to work than than Thibodeau has given Towns. So I'm aware that that might be a possibility. But the other thing is I've seen, you know, I've seen some real growth in Jokic defensively. And even if he doesn't become an ace or, you know, the idea was the kind of the dream scenario for him was always Marcus Marcus not a great athlete, though he's longer than Jokic. And I would say a better athlete than Jokic that that the intelligence feel for the game, all those sorts of things could get them to a really good place. I don't think Jokic is going to be that guy. But what we have seen when he's played with Millsap is this idea that he can be a part of a successful defense, at least in the regular season. We'll see in the playoffs. I'm 
hopeful that it'll work then too. And Towns has the physical tools absolutely to get there. And if we did this in June or we did this next December, those guys will both be ineligible. I might feel differently, but for right now, when it's this close, I'm going to go with what I think is closer to the bird in the hand defensively. Yeah, and I completely understand that philosophy. I I may in fact have the wrong, but I completely acknowledge that. And I'm probably overly excited over a few decent weeks of Carl Towns' defense. Whereas, and that's decent weeks. Whereas Jokic, I think he's always shown more defensive acumen, but he started really making a lot of plays as well this year. And Denver has been an elite defense throughout the season, and he's been a big part of that. Again, I want to, the lack of information on what these guys are in the playoffs is difficult. But and these are the only two players on this list right now that have any kind of a history of playing at a top 15 top 20 level in the nba and so there's just too much uncertainty for the guys behind them uh, for me. right that's so i usually don't label my tiers but i did this year and the reason why is because i thought of a cohesive theory for it and this one is already there these guys it's not a question of okay they need to add x to reach this all nba level because nobody i don't see anybody as like a clear-cut mvp candidate moving it forward so then it becomes more into that next tier and they're both there i mean Jokic right now could be an all i mean he could be second team all nba center like there's a very good argument for that i had him i think i remember if i had him third team or is the the i think i had him third team and and gasol is the toughest omission but they were right next to each other off the top of my head we haven't done awards yet i think he'd probably be higher than that this time around and towns is in that mix too towns that's how he got the designated rookie extension was by making an all nba team and so i could see those guys there because they already are and so there are a lot of players that i like below that but there is intense value to not having to wonder whether they're an all-star having to wonder whether they're an all-nba guy let's move now to tier two uh, and again remember these uh, i got four guys in this tier so remember that means i think all these guys are very close but i am going to go with my number three ranking for luka Doncic, uh, age 19 and follow that up with donovan mitchell probably controversial because he's struggled pretty badly so far this year just he's coming off a terrible game last night but we're not going to try to let a few bad games dissuade us ben simmons just below donovan mitchell at five for me and then jason tatum at six that is my tier two those four guys okay i'll I'll get i'll lay mine out and then we can talk about different so i have only two guys in my next tier both included in what you just said and i have my number three is ben simmons 22 years old july 96 and luca 19 years old february of 99 which is just ridiculous and so i'll explain i guess that's a good clarifying point of why i had these guys separated and tatum and mitchell are both in my next tier and we'll talk about that when we get there but so for me what Simmons and Doncic do that is incredibly valuable is that they to me they can run an NBA offense it's not they haven't proven they can do it in the playoffs they haven't proven they can you know there are a lot of different elements in play here both of them have limitations that I'm uncomfortable with but that is such an incredibly valuable thing and you ratchet up that importance by them doing it at untraditional sizes and positions so Ben Simmons can defend forwards he can defend guards he's been a part of a successful defense already and Luca at six seven six eight is a forward and so the ability to, to have that offensive capability in a player who's taller means that you can build your team very differently. If you want to get guys that are more uniform heights and switch, if you can find guys that height that can shoot, you can do it. If you want to play one of those point guard sized guys that isn't really good with the ball in their hands, that can't create offenses reliably, you can do that too. And that's why there's a separation for me is that even though there are limitations, you can do so much with them. To me, the reason Simmons was a little bit lower than Mitchell and Doncic is just, I it seems very clear to me at this point that the jumper is just never going to come around like even hitting 15 footers like his jumper has regressed over the last three years like he at least would take him when he was at the hoop summit in 2015 and now he won't even
even do that. So I just don't see the upside with Simmons because he's not quite, you know, he certainly is a physical specimen, but he's not quite the LeBron Giannis type of guy, you know, especially Giannis where he could just dominate in the paint without a jump shot, right? He's not going to just go through guys, dunk on them, knock them out of the way. Like he just, whether it's the lack of strength, not quite as long, not big as big a hands. I mean, I shouldn't say he's a lack of strength. He's still stronger than a lot of guys, but you know, he's just not going to be able to be a really good all-star level of score without a jump shot. Like if that seems clear to me that he's just not that type of dominant physical player, though he's very, very good. So that's why I have him lower. I mean, he's playing better to me than any of the guys in this year right now, but he's also 22 and he certainly is playing better than Donovan Mitchell this year. But I do think that Mitchell has a little more upside on the offensive end with his jump shooting ability to get to the basket, really be a top end score and defend his position pretty well. Ben Simmons better than him defensively, but Mitchell is no slouch. You can go back a lot to uh, the rookie of the year conversation for why I have Mitchell ahead of Simmons. Uh, I don't think that uh, that needs to be rehashed too much here. I'd realize I'm in the minority on that. I hadn't realized how close those two guys are in age. So Simmons is July of 96 and Donovan Mitchell was born in September of 96. So they're, you know, basically they're two months apart, basically the same age. And I, so I think I thought about an analogy when I, and I've been working on something like this with Simmons and the way I, I thought of was that Ben Simmons is a Monet with a smudge in the corner. I mean, an amazing talent, something, something beautiful with a glaring imperfection that at moments it's all you can see. And I think sometimes we get, we get a little bit lost in despite that limitation, just how ridiculous a basketball player Ben Simmons is. I mean, if you want to talk true shooting, he's you know 57% for his career, 59% so far through this year. He is so much better defensively than I thought he would be. You know, I don't think you're going to necessarily put him on the other team's best threat, but you can put him on just about anything else. And at his size, that's an incredible benefit and with his offensive role. And I think we're going to see some of that defensive capability now that they have Jimmy Butler in the fold in Philadelphia, that that, that you can do a lot with that. And the smudge is, is, is important. I mean, that's the reason why I, I don't have him in that, you know, like MVP, serious MVP candidacy. If he was, if he had anything close to that, he'll be number one on mine without any hesitation. Like that's how much I like him. And I love Jokic and, and Towns. But to me, even without that, and as, as that's flawed and everything else, I still think he's an incredibly good basketball player. Do you think that Ben Simmons can be a top 10 player in the NBA with those jump shot limitations? Yes, I do. Yes. Yeah, and I don't. That's why. And, and especially when we're talking about the playoffs now, I mean, if you're a top 10 player, you need to be able to really produce in, in the playoffs. And, you know, especially if you're talking about being like a top five player, I think Luca, you know, we'll see, you know, it's very early on for him. He's got a lot of work to do on his body. He's not as good defensively as Simmons. Did you, you had Simmons above Luca? Yeah, I had Simmons at three and Luca's four and they're in their a tier by themselves. And yeah, with, with Luca, it, it is kind of a, mo- a matter of time. You know, we, we just need to see how his body progresses, whether he's the, the magic that he's been able to do in terms of creating his own shot, whether that is completely real or just a little bit of not fool's gold, but just a little bit overstated. You know, if there's some regression to the mean on his step backs and everything else like that. And I, I he's a phenomenal talent. And I, I think that some parallel between Doncic and Simmons is that even if they don't get everything, there's still so much positive there that you could do that you can really build a, a good team and you can pair them with so many different types of players because they find guys, they they encourage players to run in transition. And the passing ability is I think what really and intelligence is what separates them. And because they can do so much of it with the ball in their hands, that's why I drew the separation from with with more with guys that I'm less certain about. Like with them, even if the best case scenario doesn't happen, I still think there's a really good player in there. Yeah, it's just like it's so hard. Ben Simmons like can't run a pick and roll. 
Like he can't leverage that passing vision real well other than when he's in transition because it's just it, you can just go under on him every time. Uh, you can switch him as well. I mean, he's not really, especially against a larger player. I mean, he can't really attack larger guys because they just back up and wait for him at the rim. Um, another thing we wanted to talk about a little bit here just to kind of cover the progression for some of these guys. Carl Anthony Towns, you know, at number one this year, this is his fourth year uh, on this list and his fourth year in the NBA. Had him four last year and then two the previous two years uh, behind Anthony Davis. And then Jokic was six last year. Some of the guys above him have graduated now. It was honorable mention the year before that. So, uh, and I gave Jokic actually an eight for his development because they've just been so good defensively over the past year. Uh, Luke, obviously we can't give him a, a development rating. This is his first year. Uh, how would you say, what would you say one through 10, how much has Ben Simmons developed over this past year? Like a two or a three. I mean, he hasn't fixed, yeah. he hasn't fixed what was wrong, but but it, it's so hard with him because so many of the other things he did well are uncommon for a guy his age, but you don't get credit for that in a development grade. So yeah, I mean, he's been very disappointing from that. And Simmons, incidentally, he went up on my list. He went from four to three this year. But part of that is because one of the guys above above him graduated and another one has missed a bunch of time due to injuries. And we'll get to him later. But I think that, you know, Simmons, it, it's more just because I'm just a believer in his talent. And then Luka, yeah, Luka, we can't grade with that. I had Jokic sixth last year, like you did, and had Towns second to Giannis. And so he's he's the bridesmaid again in his final year. I don't think he was ever number one on my list, but he's been in the mix for such a long time. Yeah, and Simmons was five last year. He's five uh, this year. But yeah, I mean, I, w- I would give him a three. I mean, he does get credit. He's finished around the rim better. He's taken some strides forward to, uh, defensively. I think particularly just a, as a perimeter defender, staying in front of guys as more of a stopper type. Uh, you know, he's not perfect yet on that end. Uh, but, you know, I did have Donovan Mitchell uh, above him. Last year, Mitchell was 10th. What Mitchell did in the playoffs, you know, a lot of it is based on that, right? I mean, if he shoots like this all year, I assure you he will rocket down this list. You know, it is a lot of his, I, I don't want to overreact to him being cold shooting at the start of the year. He's had some injury concerns uh, as well. And uh, I'm going to go back to what I thought he did at the second half of last year and the playoffs uh, as having some upside. And I gave him a seven for his past year of development. I mean, he really had shot the ball poorly as of this time last year. He was number 10 on the list. Uh, and then Jason Tatum at six. Uh, he was seven last year. I uh, gave him an eight for his development in the past year. The shooting that we thought was fluky, well, he's right at 40% from downtown. Again, this year, he had some big moments in the playoffs. Certainly the long two addiction is a little concerning. You know, I'm not sure that he's going to be that great of a passer. You know, maybe he's going to settle into kind of more of a Carmelo Anthony type of scorer than he is really the guy who's going to set everyone else up. And that player is a little bit out of vogue these days when you don't have a, the passing vision as much. So I, I do think you know, the start of this year, he hasn't quite taken the steps forward, but it's important to remember where he was last year as well. That I mean, he had a great rest of the season last year. So again, I'm trying not to freak out about guys having a little bit of growing pains this season. Yeah, I mean, I think people who consider my discomfort with parts of Jason Tatum's game will be surprised that I've moved him from 11th last year to 5th this year. He's in a separate tier. I have him below Doncic as from the 4 to 5 as a tier gap for me. But what Tatum has done this year, it has actually made me more confident in his development as a player because I understand what these flaws are and I know how to deal with them. This is not last year where it felt like he was in this cocoon and everything was unsustainable because he was shooting a ridiculous percentage. The Boston just ecology was ridiculous. You had all these things that were there. Now, you know, he's making he's making some young guy mistakes. He's taking too many shots. He, you know, he, he's a little bit too mid-range happy, but yeah. you can... It's only 22% usage at this yeah, point. But, but you can... It's not, I, think, I think that's settled down. It, it has a little bit, and, and, and I think that's helped make him more effective too. But what the, 
the other point I wanted to make with, and but now he's, yeah, so he's creating more of his own shots this year. And I think that's a, a good thing for, in terms of evaluating his capability moving forward. And even if Tatum ends up being, and I've said this many times before, ends up being more of a complimentary star than a full on, you know, like you put him on a team, your offense is going to be great or your defense is going to be great. He can be really capable and influential, important on both ends of the floor. And at forward, that is so nice to have. There, there are incredibly few guys that can do that. And so the, I, I've been, when we did our shooting guard rankings, I talked about this idea of Devin Booker as being like that. I thought his skill set would work on a much better team, but because the Suns have been such a tire fire over the last couple of years, we haven't gotten to see it. Well, Jason Tatum is that conception of Devin Booker, except that he's also a forward and also is great at defense. And so, or very, very good, very good. Okay, yeah. I don't even know about very good at this point. I think he has maybe some potential to get there, but I'm not sure he's like, has like well, really the competitive. Here's, here's an interesting question. Who would you rather have if, if all we were talking was defense, would you rather have Ben Simmons or Jason Tatum? Oh, Ben Me Simmons too. not even close. And that's, and that's part of why I have him third on my list. But but with Tatum, just having a player who can do what he does is, is, is really useful. And so even if he, again, another guy who, even if he doesn't reach a ceiling, I know how you can slot him in and what you can do with that. And there are enough capable ball handlers in the league right now that having Tatum as your second best offensive player is pretty doable. The Celtics notwithstanding. Oh, that's another thing I didn't, I should have mentioned in the, in the criteria. Current team situation, other than how it affects our analysis of the player, doesn't count. So if you're if you're in a perfect situation and another guy's in a bad situation, but he's a better player, well then that that all that the, you don't hold that against the yeah, player in a bad we situation. We try to adjust. We try. For that. And then there's certain times when you can't as much as we can. So but, so with Tatum, I think there's just a lot a lot that he can that he can contribute, and he probably uh, of anybody on my list, you could argue Jokic too, is getting the most benefit from his situation because he's not being asked to do more, and so he's not failing at at any of that. But I think that you could you could put him in a lot of different places and i mean who knows maybe if there is ever an anthony davis trade he's involved in it and we'll get a chance to evaluate this but i I really like i like him as a plug and play guy and at forward that has importance that has significance and makes him go up my list by the way uh we will also just be posting our raw rankings on uh, our patreon patreon.com slash duncan larue if we're kind of jumping around a little bit here so you're if you're a subscriber you can go back and check that out um so where are you now i I finished up at six are you down that low yeah so okay so i have simmons and Doncic in my in a tier by themselves and then i said i have jason tatum five and that's where that's where i've left things off and this is in my tier three my tier three actually runs through the entire rest of my list of my top 10 so i they're all you know i have preferences within it but i couldn't really draw any lines and part of that is because of donovan mitchell so i have donovan mitchell at six and mitchell if he can do a lot of what went so well last year then this is an easy sell he can run an offense his defensive potential even if it's the, the execution isn't there every single game. I mean, Utah's defended well overall. It's just, it hasn't been because of him, but but he can, I mean, we saw, we were there in person when he just shut down Jason Tatum in Utah Summer League last year. That was incredible. And and the things that he can do, but I'm just not all the way there yet that, especially with his current shooting limitations, that Mitchell can can do that. I mean, and also, and this is something I think has fallen under the radar. I mean, we talked about his shooting. It, the pull-up is, is the important shot for his career, but last year, 40.6% on catch, on catch and shoot threes this year 31% and that's important too you know he need to be able to to kind of fit into a, an NBA offense you have to be able to defend him in those spots not help off him and I think he's shooting well enough that you're not going to help off but that is still something that's concerning yeah and the three-point shooting is a big part of why he's dropped off this year the shot mix also has not been great I mean this whole Utah team has been so weird with their inability to hit a three and you know, I still have faith that they're gonna go on a little bit of a run here he has improved his 
shooting uh, on long twos, which I think is important if you want to be a primary creator. Somebody still has to take some of those long twos, especially on Utah. But if he continues to shoot like this all year, I mean, he's got a 51% true shooting, then all right, he's not going to be as high on this list last year. As I said, I think it was more based on what he was able to do in the playoffs. And again, I think the injuries have mattered as well. You know, we haven't seen the same explosive plays from him necessarily. Uh, So I'll move in then to my tier three, which is two guys at seven, eight. Number seven is Jaron Jackson Jr. at 19. And then one Chris Tapps Porzingis, 23 years old, still eligible for this list. I mean, he was fourth last year, fourth the year before, and seventh the year before that for me, his three years in the league. Obviously, over the past year, I would give him a one because he perhaps through no fault of his own, but he messed up his ACL. And there's no guarantee that he is going to be close to the player that he was. But where he had gotten to defensively last year was really impressive. And I still don't think of him as a number one banana offensively because he just took so many long contested twos last year for the Knicks. You know, I think they have a little better coaching now that that might help him. Who knows whether he's even going to come back this year. It certainly doesn't seem to be trending in that direction in the slightest right now. But I mean, he just has a pretty darn high established level of performance. And while the chances of him getting back to there have taken a hit, he still deserves recognition. Absolutely. He's on my top 10 list. He's a little bit lower. And if Porzingis, if the ACL tear had never happened and he just played at the level that we had seen previously, he would, I think, if I have to guess, he'd probably be like six, five or six on my list. It would be interesting to see where he'd fit in there. Because the other thing with Porzingis, you talked about the defensive potential. Again, the lack of actualization here, which is totally not his fault. He's been playing power forward. You and I both feel that his best position is center, not only because defensively that puts him in better spots on the floor, but offensively, he totally screws with what other defenses want to do if he's playing at the five because you have to defend Porzingis everywhere and he is more capable attacking on a closeout than I expected and just kind of getting into spots where he can where he can do things. And so if you if a team, whether it's the Knicks or somebody else, could just put him in the right situation, I think he could just be absolutely dynamite. But as you said, I think the difference making with him and his absolute ceiling is crazy high because I like his defensive capability far better than the other centers high on my list. You know, Jaron, we'll talk about him in a second because you have him, you and I both have him high. And with Porzingis, because he does the traditional center stuff so well, he's a wonderful rim protector. He has crazy length. His instincts are getting better too. I, I like, I, he's been reacting, he, before he got hurt, he was reacting better. But also he's a good shot blocker, a great shot blocker, maybe a shot effector who also can still rebound capably. And he was, you know, his defensive rebound rates were like 18 to 20% playing power forward. And, you know, centers are gobbling up a fair portion of those. So I, I love what he can be. And I, I hope that we get to see that guy again. Jaron Jackson is an anomaly. I mean, there's some guys who usually the more analytics focus who are talking about him as like the best prospect in the NBA right now. I can't go nearly that far because I just don't see him as that type of a score. And I thought the game against the Warriors was very instructive. The time previously against the Warriors, Jackson, you know, he's very limited. He was going right shoulder every time the Warriors were all over that. So he decided he was going to try and go left shoulder more. He just, you know, he went to the hook shot every once in a while and he even tried a couple of fadeaway jumpers and they looked awful because he's got that incredibly low release point. So how good can you be in the post if you can't shoot a turnaround jumper and you're just reliant on banging into position to get a hook shot, which you're probably not getting it fouled on or trying to just post it, get deep post position immediately. I mean, I think he could be effective against mismatches. He's also not like incredibly fast facing up. And again, the threat of the jump shot when he faces up with that low release point isn't enough to where you get the guy moving towards you and then you can blow by in out of that triple threat position. Now, we haven't seen him at all really try to bomb threes other than in summer league. And I think he could be a very, very valuable offensive player there. But again, you know, not 
really a number one engine type of guy. I think he could be a solid offensive player to be sure. And, you know, we'll see whether he ends up playing center as well. Obviously, that's another thing we haven't seen him in that role yet. In fact, they brought in Joe Kim Noah so he wouldn't have to play any center on the backup unit. And then defensively, I think he, he has shown a ton. The ability to switch me has been pretty much as advertised defensively. He fouls an absolute crap ton. You know, that's a part of it too. So there's a lot of raw talent here. The fact that he is 19, basically the youngest player on this list is huge as well. So I think he's going to be a very good player for a long time. I'm not quite sure. I mean, he would just have to be so good defensively and so good as a shooter to really talk about, all right, this guy really has top 10 player type of upside in the NBA. You know, I see him more kind of being an Al Horford type for a long time like that, and maybe even an evolutionary version of Horford to be better than him. But, you know, that's a player who's the 20th best player in the league, the 10th best player in the league. And that's that's something to seize about. Like he definitely deserves to be on this list, but I can't quite see him getting into if not top 10 certainly top five level uh in the league i saw a lot of parallels between jaron jackson and miles turner somebody else who was on my list but a little bit lower and both guys are intriguing defensively i ended up with jackson over turner because i think he's more versatile i think jackson could be a much better switch defender and so that means you can use him in more schemes and because i i think his defensive foundation is better with turner turner has improved a lot over this year and i, I really gained gained faith in him and also jaron jackson i like the connective tissue in his offensive game better like he 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 can do a little bit more with the ball in his hands whether that ends up being useful or not i have no idea but at least he can and so if he takes you know what i like it when guys are capable in areas that might not necessarily be valuable because and when they're young because that it might be portend that they can do a little bit more that they can you know maybe he can attack closeouts a little better or he can maybe the the footwork because i mean he has some interesting interesting elements to his game so i ended up with jackson over over turner for for those kinds of reasons jackson beyond him being the youngest guy on the list he's the second youngest player in the nba this year which is really impressive the youngest being isaac bonga who is nowhere near this list and jackson i see i'm not saying this is a certainty it absolutely is not but i see defensive player of the year capability in him and that's what really elevates even a limited offensive player onto this list because if you can affect the game that to that degree on one end and be capable if not better on the other it's not the same as being you know a James Harden level offensive engine and then I mean ideally you'd have somebody who's better defensively than Harden but it is still an incredibly good player yeah and it's just valuing the offensive upside to me is why he's not higher why he's not in the tier above but to play effectively in the NBA at his age is no mean feat at all so I'll move now to my tier four we're at uh, number nine right now this guy has rocketed up the list De'Aaron Fox at at age 21 he was kind of at the lower end of my players to watch so that's not even honorable mention last year so I would give him a 10 for his development over the past year uh he's getting to the foul line 40 percent free throw rate that has been huge he is single-handedly transformed the kings into a good transition team his floater game has improved he's also shooting in the high 30s from three that's the one thing that i wonder about a little bit but just looking much better as a jump shooter when you remember at kentucky i mean he wasn't really able to shoot the three at all i think he was under 30 percent three at kentucky i'd like to see him improve his distribution a little bit more that's the one thing that we haven't seen a ton of but he does play on a lot of units that don't have amazing spacing for that but uh, I mean he's just he's the reason the number one reason why the Kings uh, are at 500 they may drop off here I'm a little worried about moving him up this high based on just what we've seen this year because last year he was one of the worst players in the NBA which you know that's true for a lot of rookie point guards but to have taken these steps is really impressive and you know I just hope the shooting holds up but even if he drops down like the 35% level you know I think he's really on track to, to be a very nice player and then his defense is effort level is just 
just and character is fantastic to me. He had this play last night against OKC where Paul George had a mismatch, gets in the lane. Fox is guarding Hamadou Diallo in the corner, runs all the way to the dotted line in the lane to force George to give the ball up and then was just shot out of a cannon back to the corner. This is just one pass from George all the way to the corner and Fox sprints out there and blocks Diallo's three-pointer. It was unbelievable. Like, And you wonder, I mean, they're playing him a ton of minutes right now already, whether he's going to be able to keep up this level of energy over the course of an entire season. But man, I mean, when he revs it up, it is really impressive. If you're worried about having De'Aaron Fox at nine, maybe I should be more worried about having him at seven. And I'm not. I, I'm, I'm not super worried about having him that high, partially just because we talked about Jaron Jackson's limitations. So I have Fox seven, Jaron Jackson eight. And this is De'Aaron Fox's age 21 season. He's December 97 is his, is his birthday. And there's a lot there that I think is unsustainable. 42% free throw attempt rate. That's just crazy high. And shooting 40% from three. Why is why is that unsustainable? That's like free throw attempt rate is actually well, one of the more, f- 42% uh, is really like that. To, uh, from what I've, at least as I'm thinking about it off the top of my head, like 42% is crazy. He was 25% last year. Like maybe he ends up in the mid 30s. I think that's totally possible. But I, and especially because I think he'll take on, if he can keep shooting, he'll take on more of a workload in terms of everything else. And with Fox, but he's the reason why they, why they push so hard in transition. Sacramento has like a 112 offensive rating when Fox is on the floor. And when you think about the surrounding talent, that's really impressive. And yeah, I mean, we like Bogdanovich more. I mean, he's, he's done a nice job and Buddy Heald is having a wonderful year. And Willie Cauley-Stein is a complimentary talent, but is a complimentary talent that kind of works with some of what Sacramento does. But Fox is what makes that team go. And you talked a little bit about his defense. Something else that I really like is that he is a part of what are some pretty high turnover generation offenses. And as we've talked about with Indiana's defense over the last couple like podcasts, defense, defense, defense yeah, high turnover good. defenses. Yeah. And that's something that a guard really can affect. And I think that Fox is contributing. His block rate is pretty high. His steal rate is pretty high. And his physical capability is is impressive in terms of speed and recognition and activity level, which is truly incredible. And early on, you know, when he was at Kentucky, even when he was in high school, a player that De'Aaron Fox was often compared to was Mike Conley. And I thought then, think now that there's a lot of, that that's an appropriate comparison. But I want to note that, yeah, you know. But he's a better athlete than right, Conley. Right, he's a better he's athlete than Conley. Sides. And Fox, right now in his age 21 season, and yeah, we're, we're only, you know, 30 whatever games in, he's better at age 21 than Mike Conley was. And that doesn't, oh, not even that close. doesn't I mean, mean. Conley, you remember. It was mid-20s. You remember with Conley, yeah, I mean, like when Conley was given a five-year, $45 million extension, which was kind of just like solid starter money at that time, like that was a, that contract was derided. He'd shown very little up to that time. Right. So I think Fox, there's no guarantee that this is the the springboard and he will just keep growing from here, though I hope that and there's a lot there's a lot to like there. And that's why he's seven and not higher. And that's also why he's seven. So I think that he is a, a, a compelling player. His place on this list next year. Uh, uh, so I was going to mention this before. Luka Doncic's player development score, I think, is going to be the, my most the thing I'm most anticipating for when we do this next year. But number two might be where De'Aaron Fox fits into this, because by then I think we'll have a pretty good idea of whether this is real or not. And Sacramento has all this cap space. They don't have their own draft pick, but they can do they can do a lot. And if he is the real deal, then their future looks so much brighter than it did before. One reason for concern with Fox's jumper, only a 72% free throw shooter. So that's a number that probably needs to get better if he's going to be looked at as a plus shooter. Also, uh, that number is identical to last season. So it's not like, oh, he was actually a 75, like he was a 75% free throw shooter all along or something like that. No, I mean, it seems like that might be who he is. So before we continue here, I want to remind you, we're doing the NBA cast for Christmas. You can follow me on Periscope, Nate Duncan NBA. Follow me on Twitch at Nate Duncan NBA as well. We're making some improvements to look and feel. We're going to 
going to try and actually show some live stats on the screen. We've been doing some practice there. The idea is if you haven't watched it before, you mute your TV and you sync up with us. We're also going to try and get YouTube ready so streamers can pause our stream and, and sync up if their stream is behind uh, our audio. So it's just a, a new way to watch the game. We do a more analytics and X's and O's focused play by play and then take questions during the commercials. So I had Fox leading up my tier four. I've got a bunch of other guys going down into the honorable mention here, um, but catch us back up with where you're at right now, Danny. Okay, so my the guys that I've revealed in my tier three are Tatum at five, Mitchell at six, De'Aaron Fox at seven, Jaron Jackson at eight. Okay, so why don't you take us through then uh, the rest of your tier three? Okay, so my number nine is Miles Turner. I talked about the comparison between Turner and Jackson. Turner is 22, a March 96 birthday. His growth defensively has really helped this estimation with me, and I'm still not completely sure he's the best center on the Pacers, but I like a lot of what he does, you know, his ability to affect shots at the rim and be a part of a, a consistent defense, and I think he's being underutilized offensively, and I'm not, you know, like now the Pacers, this is their second year of a low overall foul rate. I had been really freaked out about that earlier in Turner's career, kind of like I freaked out about it with Jaron Jackson, another parallel between those two players, and I would have Turner below Kristaps Porzingis, who I have at 10, if I were not concerned about Porzingis' long-term health. You know, like that's that's not even really, an, like that's oh, yeah. not even a hard call for me. That's an easy call. But, and it's crazy because of Turner's durability concerns when he came into the league, you know, it was all that stuff with his running form and everything else that seems like a lifetime ago, but was, was really there. And I, I Turner is somebody who I moved around a lot on this list because I'm total, I'm not completely sure that it's real, but I really like what he is. I like what he can be. And his, you know, M- McMillan desert has done a really nice job overall with the Pacers, but a big man who can capably defend, who can space the floor actually to the three-point line, even though he's not asked to do it right now. So that's something that teams are teams are hurting themselves to try to get. And I mean, you see you see all these teams that are trying to do this every single year, and he can make that happen. I, I firmly believe it. And so there are, you know, there are wings that didn't make my top 10. There are point guards that didn't make my top 10 who might have a higher ceiling and probably do have a higher ceiling. But I know how to use Turner, and I, I, I just, I think he's a really good fit for where the league is going yeah you said turner is underutilized i would say he's being wrongly utilized yeah that's probably more fair um you know just i mean 1.8 three-point attempts per game it was 2.4 last year just so many pick and pops we talked in the 15 and 60 about how low they are in points per possession on pick and roll pick and pop plays because i mean he's just popping for a, a free throw line jumper all the time and it's just really hard to be efficient i mean he's a, a little bit below the league average right now in true shooting but he's also averaging 2.8 blocks a game they've gotten better on the defensive glass this year i think he's been part of that he's still not amazing there but you know it's not like a huge weakness for them like it had been and this has been a really really good defense and he's been a big part of that and you know especially with his ability to shoot the three they're probably posting him up a little bit too much i don't know that he's ever going to be some huge force there but if you get him on it i mean if he was being used like brooke lopez is being used and i don't think he's quite that level of shooter but i think you could kind of get close to there um you know he's only been a 35 percent career three-point shooter but if he's being used the way brooke lopez is being used he could be such a valuable offensive player and then you know he's much better than Lopez defensively and, and I give him a lot of credit I give him a really high development rating over the past year just because the defense has improved a ton you know last year really he was not that effective player um and so I mean for for him I had him all the way down in players to watch last year and then I had him honorable mention the two years before that because I was frustrated with that lack of defensive development and so you know as much as we carp about McMillan on the offensive end you know I think his, the way he's helped Turner develop defensively deserves a, some credit here so did he make your top 10 no he didn't he was honorable okay. mention though so he was in the same tier as uh okay so you 
so, so, so we had it's basically guys nine nine through fifteen. So okay, my, so we uh, have nine of your top ten because I know Porzingis was higher on your list. So can I guess your last guy? I mean, he might not be your tenth guy, but who the other guy is? Uh, is it Jamal do. Murray? Yes, yeah. it is. Number he 10. was my eleven. Uh, I had yeah. So it, Jamal turns twenty two in February, so he's a, an old twenty one total geezer. Um, he was honorable mention for me last year, but you know again very close to the top ten. And then he was number ten for me as a rookie. The efficiency is down. The three point shooting is down. He seems to start every year just shooting miserably from three, but he has taken so many strides forward defensively. And he, I remember a game his rookie year when like George Hill, who's got, he's got two inches on George Hill, was just like killing him on post-ups, right? And he just had zero fight and any sort of plays like that. He couldn't get over a screen. And now he's actually become, I think, a pretty quality defensive player. He's not the absolute quickest, but he gets his hands on balls. He's smart. He makes the right rotations and he plays intensely and he plays with force defensively now. He's still maybe a little bit underutilized from a passing standpoint, or maybe he's just not that good. He did have like 15 assists the other night against Dallas. But with all these guys out for Denver, I mean, he's basically been their only reliable offensive creator. He's improved his ISO game a lot as well. And he's able to create separation, get open shots in mid-range. That's Denver with their limited personnel right now has really benefited from that. And so there's probably a lot of people, Devin Booker is also in this category for me. And we'll get to a couple of the other guys, but Booker and Murray are kind are somewhat similar players and I think you know I have Booker at 13 but again these guys are all in the same tier but comparing Murray to Booker I think just the fact that Murray to me has been part of a winning team he's showed more fight I like Murray a lot better getting to the basket than Booker as well and the biggest difference though is defensively I mean Booker really has been part of one of the worst defenses in the NBA his entire career and don't worry if the Suns win every game the rest of the season he'll be a lot higher on the list next year I know they've won four straight uh but yeah that's why I I just see Jamal Murray as a little bit more of a winner than Devin Booker at this point in time. And I think that they're, you know, Booker's certainly has had some ridiculous scoring binges. If you want to say who could be the most more unstoppable score when they're on, it's clearly Booker. But to me, I think Murray is, I like him better as a distributor than Booker as well. And he's uh, been a part of a a winning situation and contributed there where Booker just hasn't been able to do that. It's also funny because both of those guys have earned reputations as being really talented shooters and just have had a lot of trouble to start this year. Devin Booker shooting 32 percent from three so far that's not nearly as as bad as jamal murray i mean one of the craziest stats for jamal is that i think this was before yesterday before their most recent game he's shooting 24 percent on pull-up threes this year i mean if that gets even to a like the level and not even the level he was last year but if that gets to you know 30 to 34 percent then he's a, just a, a much more viable player you know even even if it's if more limited than it's been and i mean he's a good catch and shoot guy devin booker can yeah. scale that's gonna have yeah. to get better like if he doesn't you know, a big part of why I have always been high on him is his ability to shoot that pull up three. And if he, he is, he's almost stopped taking it these days. Um, uh, if he doesn't get that back to some degree the rest of the year, then, you know, I am going to have to downgrade him next year, I think, because that is part of why I, I've been so excited about him this whole time. Right. And so, yeah, I, I like having Booker and Murray in, in the same tier. I have the same thing because they, they've had very different NBA life experiences, but I think the tools are, are they're parallel. And I, and I agree with you. I have Murray above Booker because of fight and, and elements like that and because he's he's proven more he's proven that he is more capable of being a cog in a bigger machine a lot of that is because there has been a bigger machine for him to be a cog in but that is still you know it's still something we know and whether it's fair or it's not fair it's da- it's data that helps make that determination do you want to go through because you said so okay so if he's your 10 and bookers on that list you have two other guys you said in that tier do you want to oh, one of them is one of them's uh, miles turner yeah turner 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 i already mentioned uh so three guys remaining i have Jalen 
Braun at number 11. Again, this is another one of those ones where he is having a rough start to the year. It's been a weird situation in Boston, but you know, low these many months it's been since he was really, really good in the playoffs. And of the wings on this list, he's probably number one or number two defensively. And so a lot of this comes from positional value as well. Now he's going to have to actually make a three-pointer again at some point in his life. Um, But he was honorable mention for me the first two years, and and he's right in there for me again still at at age 22. I do have some faith that that he's going to turn it around now. There's always this feeling of like, all right, his three-point shooting, which had been pretty good, is a little bit of a mirage because he's never been a great free-throw shooter. But, you know, I don't see him as like an under 30% three-point shooter. And then, of course, there's my two vanity picks that are going to piss people off. Dennis Smith Jr., I still have him in here. He's struggled a lot with injuries this year. The focus now has been on Luka Doncic. But he quietly has actually been shooting the ball better this year, taking fewer bad shots. I had him at eight last year. Now he's down in honorable mention at, at age 21. But he's still, I think he's an underrated distributor. He's shown a little bit more defensive fight this year as well. And I don't think he's been as atrocious as he was last year. And he's one of the worst defensive players in basketball. And he's just so athletic. And that's what this is based on it is the crazy upside that I still believe that he has. If I had to guess of where he's going to end up, he's going to be below a lot of the guys who are further down on this list. But I do believe he has more upside than them. And then that is the same rationale for why Trey Young is, is an honorable mention for me. Even, yes, I'm aware he's shooting under 25% from three-point range. I think he's a better shooter than that. I think that's going to come around to some degree. If it doesn't over the next year, obviously he's going to rocket down this list. Same thing with Smith if he can't take steps forward, although you know point guards do develop late to be sure. But Young has been as advertised from a distribution standpoint. I think he's actually gotten to the room and finished a little bit better than expected. Though that's fallen off to some degree. And he's been big for the Hawks in transition. Absolutely sucks defensively. That doesn't bother me as much. But again, it's just the upside of, you know, the shot's going to have to go in for him. It's not going to go in at Steph Curry 40% levels, but if it goes in at 35%, those super deep threes, that just warps the defense so much. I still think he has the upside. I think he's been what I wanted other than just the fact that that three-pointer has been so, so incredibly off. And I'm my hope is that that is an aberration. Yeah, there could be some, granted, it's not going to be on the defense end, some De'Aaron Fox in there where it's, you know, he's in having a rough year in a bad situation with insufficient supporting talent and that improving all of those different elements modestly will really make a big difference. I absolutely could see that happening. I have him in my players to watch. We, you were higher on him than I was originally, but I mean, the theory of Trey Young is still absolutely there. I think that is un- unaffected by what has happened so far this year. It has maybe gotten a little bit more distant, but that ceiling is still there. And yeah. that is, you know, a crazy thing. And and as much as like, so I, I I didn't have anybody else in that, like, basically I go straight into honorable mentions from here or players to watch, you know, that kind of thing from here. But like, for example, Lonzo Ball is in mine and I love Lonzo. I'm, I'm a big believer in him, age 21. But that crazy high ceiling of like, oh, this is the way that he becomes a all an all NBA player or an MVP candidate. Like, I, I don't really think that's that's there at this point. He could still be a really good player. I love Lonzo defensively. And it's that glimmer of game breaker that makes Trey Young really, really interesting. For me, that glimmer is faint enough that I'm not going to give him as much of a benefit for it. But it, it's there. I mean, it, it, it's still there. So we're both down in the players to watch. Yeah, I mean, now. I didn't I didn't really because partially because this is also going to turn into a piece for me for the athletic. Like I, I drew the lines a little bit differently, but I want to go through some of the other guys that are kind of at the top end that I feel deserve a little bit more time where it's like I considered them in different elements. Yeah. One of them is Jared Allen. I really like Jared Allen. I think that part of part of what makes him val- kind of fitting well in this is that I love his defensive intensity. He, you know, willing to be a shot blocker and his physical tools are, are good on that end. I don't think they're necessarily as ridiculous 
versus some of the guys ahead of him on the list. And then offensively capable, not not dominant. You know, I don't, I don't like his offensive ceiling as much as some of these other guys. But again, kind of a the the plug and play equivalent of a center. And even though the center position is becoming less valuable in the league, I could see him kind of like Miles Turner, who went from players to watch into the top 10. I could see Jared Allen, who is just 20. This is age 20 season. I could see him moving up, moving up on this list. Yeah, I just don't quite see the upside with him. That's why I didn't have him in the players to watch. I, it's just hard for me to see him being a top five setter. And once you get out of that, I mean, maybe he's a Clint Capella type, you know, or, or a last year's Clint Capella type. He has shown, you know, some flashes from three point range. Maybe he can get out to being there, but I just don't quite see the upside. And replacement level at center is just so high. It's hard for me to see as much value there. I mean, there's a, a lot of guys who can talk about here in players to watch. Certainly, DeAndre Ayton has to be a, among those uh, at age 20. We just don't believe in his defense. I mean, that's the biggest problem. I think he could be a quality offensive center. I'm not sure he's quite at like, you know, a top five offensive center where he's really going to dominate, be the center of an offense, stretch out. You know, he's got a lot of work. Mike Schmitz had, had a nice piece uh, on him. I was actually talking to a, a few players about who they thought the best rookies were in preparation for this piece. And you know, one who's a, a veteran whose opinion I really respect was just like, yeah, you know, he just, he doesn't get it defensively. And, you know, I, I pointed out, you know, I had just read Schmitz's piece. I was like, yeah, you know, they're making the, hey, he hasn't been playing in a good system. He hasn't been playing basketball that long argument. He's like, yeah, how long was Joel B playing basketball? And then another guy chimed in. He's like, yeah, Pascal Siakam just started playing basketball yesterday. <laughs> and like, and those guys have the instincts defensively and Aiton doesn't. And I think you know, that's a good point. Like if you, it is rare to see someone, I mean, he's still, I checked this a couple weeks ago. I mean, he has the lowest block rate of any starting center. Like even someone like Turner, where it's like, all right, it's going to take him a while to kind of get the angles in pick and roll and to learn verticality and that stuff. At least you could see the raw shot blocking talent. Even someone like Mo Bamba, who is not even in my players to watch, but you could see he has the raw shot blocking talent. Like Aiton doesn't even really seem to have that. So I see him as a solid offensive player. I think he could be very efficient. He's shown more growth in his post game so far than I expected. I'm not sure that's going to be an every down option against reasonably sized opposing centers. And getting his shout out to NBA 3, as Schmitz talked about, is something that's going to take a little bit of surgery. He's got to get more arc on his jump shot to shoot the NBA 3. He's capable from 15 feet at this point. So that's, I mean, he just has so many things that he has to massively improve at. And then just throw in that he's a center, you know, and all the things that we've said about replacement level at, at center and what it takes to really be transformational at center at this point in time. And you really have to be just like an unbelievable shooter, a guy who you see as the hub of a good offense by himself, a Carl Towns, a Jokic, an AD, and AD is obviously awesome defensively as well. You know, and I don't see Aiton being the guy like, all right, plug this guy onto any team and now you're going to have a good offense. I don't see that. Level. And I'm happy you brought up the offensive point because that's where I want to go. I mean, the defense, we've talked about it a lot. There are concerns that that will never come. But offensively, I think he, at this point, the most likely thing is that he settles in in that effective but not dominant group. And there is significantly less utility for that than the causing panic whenever they touch the ball type of guy. And like a good example of this could be somebody like, and I'm, I'm not saying Aiton will be this type of player, but somebody like Valanciunas. Valanciunas is a very effective post score. You know, his true shooting, he was 63 true shooting last year on usage that is similar to what Aiton is doing this year. I think Aiton's usage will go up. I think Aiton is a better passer, all that. But if you can't reach that next line, like I, I think some people, you could use Whiteside, you could use Canner. Canner's offensive rebounding is a little bit of a different element here. But if you can't reach that level of like the shack of like, oh shit, what are we going to do about blank? If you can't reach that level and you're a, a, a mediocre at best defender, well, I mean, you're still a good player. You can help raise a floor of a team, but will that guy be on the floor in crunch time of a big game? Probably not. 
not with the way the league is going if they're a center. And Aiton has the offensive game to, you know, maybe let some of that go. But remember, the some of the reason teams are going small is it's not just offensive. It's because those guys can switch and because they can, you know, hold their own. And Aiton offensively fits in pretty well with the modern NBA, maybe even very well, depending on how he gets utilized. But defensively, that's a big concern for me too. Wendell Carter at age 19 has shown a lot of flashes defensively. We haven't seen the outside shooting from him that much this season. He's been fouling a ton. He's shown a little bit in the post. He's a guy who has potential in a lot of areas, but other than just his instincts protecting the room, I mean, we haven't seen him really be effective yet this season. So he's got, in theory, could be a very versatile player, but he's got a long way to go to really, and not a guy who has the type of upside I would want to put in uh, the honorable mention category. Shea Gilgis-Alexander, a lot of people really like him and seem to be higher on his upside. I don't see it quite as much because I don't see the level of explosion and I don't see the shooting from three when teams go under as uh, being things are going to improve a ton of me. He's excellent getting to his spots. His mid-ranger is nice. He's able to finish with those scoop shots around the rim. Defensively, I think he's been solid, although you do wonder about his switchability because he's so thin at this point in time. But I see, I just don't see the upside for him. I see him being a solid starter for a long time, but not to be honorable mention, you got to kind of be a, a little bit higher there in terms of potential. Uh, anyone else, Danny, that you wanted to focus on here? I've got uh, probably seven more players to watch, but we can kind of... Well, so I kind of separated out a little bit on this part of the list in terms of guys that I think are good enough players that they deserve being talked about and then players who I think have a legitimate shot, probably at this point more higher ceiling guys of actually getting into the top 10 in in the next year or two. And so I want to talk about a couple of those guys early on. So one of them is Miles Bridges. I think Bridges' physical tools, you know, like we talk about what a guy can be defensively are are absolutely there. I still need to see him, you know, guy because he's coming off the bench, it's kind of hard to tell sometimes really get him locked in because those the like the players that he's going to have to slow down, shut down aren't really on the floor. So it's harder to evaluate Bridges' defense. His burst is his bounce, sorry, more his bounce than his burst. His bounce is insane. You know, like he had one of the dunks of the month that we talked about last time and his rebounding is really impressive. His two-point finishing is really impressive. So I don't know if and when he'll get that opportunity, but I think there's a chance that he gets, especially because of the positional value, that he gets into that conversation. Brandon Ingram <laughs> deserves discussion. He barely made players to watch just again because of that length that he has, but not a ton of development. I mean, his three-pointer looks okay when he takes it, but he just never takes it. I don't know whether he just doesn't want to stand outside the three-point line or what it is, but he just isn't taking enough of them from the foul line. He hasn't improved at all. He's 63% this year after 68% last year. He struggled from the foul line in college as well. That is not auger him. Being a good jump shooter, very reliant on inefficient mid-rangers. The Lakers have not missed really anything when he's been out. I think as a one-on-one defender, he could be okay, but really has not developed as a help side guy. You know, that was supposed to be the big thing with his length and blocks and seals. We just haven't seen it from him. We haven't seen him be that havoc causer defensively. Still pretty inefficient. He has looked a little bit better going to his left this year, but just, you know, he hasn't, this is his third year now. You just have to have showed more at this point by then. Uh, anything you want to add on? No, well, I'll mention with Ingram, his three point shots per hundred possessions is, I think it's 2.5 this year, 2.6 this year, 2.5 last year. Jalen Brown is at over six. And Jalen Brown is the, like, was last year and largely is this year, like the fourth option on his lineup. And so you think about just how few threes that is. And Ingram's making 32% last year, that 39, that, you know, whopping 41 out of 105 that certain people were crowing about, you know, that it was certainly a nice story that, that he did that, but you have to take them and you have to make them in order to have players defend you out there. And it seems like he, even when, even when they go in, he just doesn't prefer to do that. And there are points, especially 
if defenses recognize that, and they are, that it provides le- that it provides less value. Also, defensively, you you talked about his steal and block rates. Ingram is maybe the key player right now, the the, the best example of a, a guy who has theoretical physical tools, but you don't see him affect action possession by possession as much as you think he should. And that can go one of two directions. <clears throat> one of them is he's just kind of trying to figure it out, and they'll coach it out of him. We we'll get there, and then the other one is that they just never get it, and it happens. You know, have both of those happen to different players and since i don't know which one of those is going to be ingram's story like when i watch him like you sit there and go well, he could be a better help defender oh he could do could do all these kind of things like but he doesn't and so i i, I kind of have this idea of like maybe he's best defending twos just because his physical like his length is so overwhelming there and if he's not really going to be as good as a help defender as we hoped maybe he can just swallow most of those guys up it's, it's just an idea i've been i i just don't know how to best utilize him right now yeah i mean he's had some moments he played well against cj mccollum it caused some problems for him but yeah, I mean, we're talking about guys who have superstar potential. And other than looking at the fact that he has a 7-3 wingspan, there's just absolutely nothing in the statistical profile that indicates that. And by your third year in the league, you have to start showing something along those lines. A um, couple other guys I, I wanted to talk about here in the honorable mention. Marvin Bagley, I assume you don't have him in there, but I mean, he's putting up some, he's 19 years old. He's putting up some really good stats right now. I mean, I think he at least deserves to be mentioned. We certainly have the issues about whether he's a, a four or a five. We have the issues about whether he can shoot the ball. I think he's actually been a little better defensively than we thought he would be. But, you know, if Aiton is going to be in there, I think Bagley has to be in there also. And and I think he just, he's not just like an unbelievable athlete in terms of just like going up and dunking on people. I also just wonder about like how he can be used and, and you know, again, playing him at center offensively, then you have to deal with his defense. Like I, I have all the same concerns that we had, but I mean, I think he's actually had a rookie year that's been better than I expected so far. I mean, he does have the 10th best PR of players on this list and 59% true shooting 22 usage I mean that's yeah that's absolutely. solid like that that is I, I think he, at the very least he could be a valuable offensive player and you know, maybe he could be a big scorer someday so I, I did at least throw him on the players to watch you know he's gonna have to take big strides forward to stay in there over the next couple of years but um anyone else you want I just want to throw some names I don't think we need to necessarily discuss them but just DeMontis Simonis and Aaron Gordon are still eligible for this I mean we I think both of those guys we forget how young they are so this is Sabonis's age 22 season this is Aaron Gordon's age 23 both those guys have produced you know in in sizable roles on not i mean sabonis's case on a good team and gordon's case on a on a team but they've taken on they they've taken on <laughs> a larger responsibility than a lot of the players on the list i don't necessarily love their you know their ceilings i think aaron gordon we kind of have a good sense of what he is at this point and what he is is useful you know he's a starter in the league but it's just doesn't have that crazy upside but i wanted to mention him because a lot of guys do not have his resume and then the last two where it's like more yeah I, i'm sure. gordon real quickly uh, on Gordon real quickly he was actually honorable mention for me last year but you'll recall when we did this he was shooting <laughs> yeah. the ball like crazy and so so I and I acknowledge that that might be unsustainable but just to give some respect for what he was doing like all right if this guy but you know is now a, a high 30s three-pointer at the time I think it was like 45 percent or something ridiculous um but I actually lowered him below players to watch just because I just don't think he has the, the upside anymore the, the shooting has fallen back I mean, I mean I you saw the glimmer with him with the shooting you thought all right maybe this guy could really be an incredibly valuable player but this list is always going to be heavier on younger players those guys kind of solidify into what they are i think he's gonna be a valuable player but you know not really in the discussion for me as a, a prospect is it a similar longer. story with sabonis um who else sabonis uh, has never been on this list for me obviously you know his rookie year he was terrible and then last year you know he started off well but uh no it's just more that i just see him as kind of like a mid-tier starting center. i know he's just unbelievable in terms of the box score stats but it's just with his physical limitations it's just hard to have him be your every down starting center i mean i know they've defended well when he's been on the floor 
floor and stuff. Um, but I, I just don't see his game as like so unstoppable. I think he kind of eats second units alive and you know, he seems like a very good role player, like a, a good version of Ennis Cantor, but still. A and then player. the last guy I want to mention is Larry Markkinen. He's had such a weird start to this year because of the elbow injury, only played in as we're recording this nine games and he's shooting below 40% from the field. Didn't shoot much better than 40% last year, but I want to mention him just because if he, if he pieces together, if he figures it out, he could be a really potent offensive player. And I thought he shown more fight defensively than I was worried about it at certain points watching his film, though his film, I think, was better defensively than some people give it credit for. Yeah, Markkinen shooting terribly from two this year just hasn't shown enough as a one-on-one scorer. And defensively, I think he can get to be average, but I don't see him getting above that. He's got kind of the same power forward or center concerns that Bagley does, although you know I think he's better than Bagley at this point in time. A couple other guys, uh, OG Ananobi, who you had higher than me last year, just because of position, you know, his shooting has fallen off this year. He's dealt with some injury stuff, some personal absences, but I don't think it's time to like give up on him. I think he could be a very, very valuable defensive player and a good enough offensive player to make that work. And he's at a premium defensive position with his strength and length. So I think he deserves more about position there than the upside. John Collins, also someone who is having a very nice statistical season. He's got the same 4.5 problems, uh, but I mean, the guy is been a, a very efficient scorer and rebounder. So it deserves discussion. And then uh, Zach Levine has to be talked about just a little bit to me. He's fallen off, especially shooting the ball. Now he's out two to four weeks with this ankle injury. He claims, by the way, that he injured it like with like a minute to go. It wasn't like that garbage time layup. I'm not sure whether that's true or not, but it does seem kind of weird that you would suffer a ankle sprain that's bad enough to keep you out two to four weeks and then go in for a garbage time layup after that. So I'm not sure if I believe that. But Levine, the way he's gotten to the rim this year, we had him pretty low on our shooting guard rankings, but and his defense is atrocious, but just the simple ability to score and he was scoring efficiently for a time. I see maybe some potential there that he has. Oh, and somebody else we should mention Um, similarly in his age 23 season, Kyle Kuzma, intriguing offensive player. I still worry about his defense, but I I think we should acknowledge his, you know, capabilities in this conversation. Yeah, we'll see. He's got to get a lot better defensively, but they've defended okay with him out there this year. And I'm not sure he's got to really, really be an efficient offensive player. And the three point shooting has been nice. He's got a high skill level, but he never gets to the foul line for a guy who shoots as often as he does. And uh, as a help defender, he's pretty much powerless. So uh, as a, a four, you really would like to see that from him. So I, I did not have him in my players to watch just because I think he's I mean, trending towards being more of a one-dimensional score. And at that position, you got to be absolutely elite there, which I don't see him getting to. And he's also already 23. Last guy I want to mention is Michael Porter. We obviously haven't seen him at all, but just based solely on the incredible upside that we saw from him at the Hoop Summit. I gr- granted, that was a very long time ago. He's supposedly shooting the ball really well in Nuggets workouts, but you know, it's been a lost year and a half for him. But I was very high on what he could be. And just as a nod to that potential, however slim it may be at this point for the 20-year-old, I just wanted to mention him so we didn't forget completely. So we do have a lot more to talk about here, though. First off, let's discuss who dropped off this list. Yeah, so going through mine, so we're not talking about the players who aged out because that's a, a totally different conversation. The right. players who dropped off out of my top 10, Dennis Smith, I still like a lot of what he can do but you know the the what happened over the intervening year where did where did seven. you have him i had him seven no, no i'm sorry where did oh, you have in, him this an honorable uh, i know i had him in players to watch um just because there was to me there yeah, wasn't a good yeah. argument that he would he's in that line of like he could be top 10 but he isn't there right now so that that to me is what players to watch is so that's you know that's a pretty sizable drop but as potential becomes you demand a little bit more in terms of production he's one markel fultz is all the way out i mean Oof. it's possible he he's yep. still this is his age 20 
2020 season, it's possible that he could get back in before age 23, but he's going to have to do a lot to earn his way. I mean, we, we've talked about his issues a lot, but that that's... Yeah, I had him top yeah. 10 last year. He was top 10 last year for me. Jalen Brown moved... Jalen Brown um, for me moved from number 10 into players to watch. I, I mean, it could just be the shooting threes. Like, I, I'm ready to move him back in. This is He'll be eligible again next year, so he could do it. But with how rough he started this season, you're just sitting there going, show me a little bit more. Show me a little bit more and, and I'll, I'll be there. Maybe I, sh- I should probably have him in honorable mention, though, considering what he did. Let's see. I guess that was like eight months ago. I can't remember how long ago the playoffs were because I'm bad at math right now. But yeah, he's he's another one. The guys who uh, I mentioned, Gordon, is someone who dropped out of honorable mention. Players to watch, Jabari Parker. I While he was injured, I still mentioned him just as someone who played pretty well before he got the second ACL. He just hasn't been the same since he's come back. And, and you know, he's looking like he's could be even on his way out of the league. So that's one we're going to, uh, I'm going to have to punt on. Andrew Wiggins. He was, so he wasn't for me, I think his rookie year, I had him in honorable mention. Then at the start of his second year, he was playing really well. He'd taken a lot of strides. He's getting the basket. The three looked better. I actually moved him all the way up to number five at the start of his second year, you know, December of, that would have been 2015. And then he's been on a steady slide since I mean, he's been one of the worst players in the NBA under 50% true shooting. Even the departure of Jimmy Butler hasn't helped him at all. He's shooting 42% on two pointers. One of the things that he used to do is get to the line. He doesn't even do that anymore. And we've talked a lot about how bad he is, but his, his fall has been precipitous. D'Angelo Russell, I've also moved out. People have been talking him up. I'm sorry. I just don't buy it. He's still at 52% true shooting. His passing has taken some strides for it, but he's too slow and he sucks defensively. Um, and then another guy who was in players to watch was John Isaac. Just hasn't, we've seen it from him defensively, but just hasn't developed enough offensively to me. And obviously the injuries have been a part of that, but uh, couldn't really have him that high either. A couple that have dropped off. Um, so OG fell from honorable mention to players to watch for me based on, you know, just, just struggling a little bit to, to start this year. And he needs to, you know, he needs to be able to hit that shot as a more limited offensive player in order to provide value. I still love him. I still think there's a lot there. Jabari, you mentioned. And then dropped out of players to watch, Frank Nilkina. There's still a lot to like with him, but yeah. if he can't be a reliable creator with the ball in his hands as a guard, that's just a, a really hard player. You know, it's kind of kind of like some of the issues that I've had with Dante Exum over the years. I think Dante Exum is still eligible for this. I can't even remember at this point. Stanley Johnson, I had him on the list last year. He's fallen off. Jordan Bell has had a, a very disappointing sophomore season. Thon Maker, that remember we, we still had the the sugar plums dancing in our heads of the playoff run that he had the first time around and then he did it again but I'm not I'm not going to get hoodwinked twice so that's going to be that's going to be countered in there and then I think that's it I'm proud of myself that he didn't have Wiggins in my players to watch last year and I feel like that has been vindicated yes it has I don't have Lonzo in my players to watch this year just again the lack of upside to me offensively another guy kind of along the lines of Shea I think he can be a solid starter for a long time but you know that's not what titillates these days Mo Bamba I mean anytime a top 10 pick isn't even in you know a top six pick isn't even in players to watch I and mean, they've been awful with him on the floor he's he's older than your typical freshman he turns 21 in May offensively we haven't seen it from him either defensively he hasn't been the game-changing force so I couldn't really even put him into players to watch it at this point in time since you mentioned it I'll go through the other guys that were in the top 10 that we didn't have in this that we have that we haven't said their names at all yet Mikhail Bridges I think is the closest of those guys it's just going to be whether we can see it or not over a larger sample and then number nine was Kevin Knox number eight was Colin Sexton you know both those guys have had moments during the rookie year but thinking of them as being like a, a really consistent positive force on a very good team it's possible but it's probably not immediate or imminent so the players who are eligible for this list this is just kind of interesting to look at here who are in the top 80 in RPM Nikola Jokic is number three then you go all the way down to Noah Vonley at 36 Ben Simmons is 41 Juancho Hernan Gomez who has had a bounce back year he was a couple years 
ago, he was in players to watch. And then obviously with the model last year, it was a lost year for him. By the way, remember when I got all that shit from Lakers fans of like having Wancho higher in the 2016 redraft than Ingram? Ingram's still two years younger and he's got higher upside, but Wancho has actually been better than Ingram this year. Uh, Fox is at 44, Sabonis 45, Jared Allen 46, Bam Adebayo 49, another guy who I just doesn't have the upside to me to get into this. Towns at 51, Josh Hart, another solid guy, but you know, not a huge upside guy. 69, Tatum 72, and Mitchell 74. So that's only 12 guys, 23 and under, who are in the top 80 in RPM. Yeah, and that's another reminder of how young players, it is it is really about looking at what they can be and what they will be rather than what they are, because it takes a long time. The NBA is a big adjustment. It's an 82-game grind. For a lot of these guys, it's their first year or two in the league, and it's part of the fun of this. And I'm already intrigued because it sounds like this upcoming year's draft class is very top-heavy and pretty shallow. So how those guys are going to fit into this conversation, because we try to do this for a deliberate reason around the same time every year, how that's going to play out is going to be so much fun. I don't like doing this, and I haven't even watched that much of him yet, but I could tell you if Zion Williamson were eligible for this list, he would be in the top five for me like right now. I haven't watched enough film to feel comfortable with that. Not 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 denying just, it or anything like that. I just can't a, say. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, and, and I'm saying that based on having seen very little, it's just what I've seen is so impressive. But anyway, uh, with that, I think we can bid you adieu. Be back on Sunday night. Talk to you all then. It's not okay to drive stoned. You might think, what's the worst that could happen? Uh, all right, fine, I'll just drive below the speed limit, maybe. The truth is that your reaction times slow way down when you're high. You put not only yourself in danger, but everyone around you. So stop kidding yourself. You've been using marijuana in any form. Do not get behind the wheel. If you feel different, you drive different. Drive high, get a DUI. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.